Hallelujah. Father, we just come and ask you to come and anoint the words that I speak today. Let them be your words, Father. Thank you, Father. Nothing of value to say if you don't give it to me to say first and then breathe on it when it's spoken, Father. Bring release, bring breakthrough, break off every chain of bondage holding us captive today. By your word and the anointing that's on it, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Well, we're in the final message on Add to Your Faith. This is lesson three, and we're not going to do any review much, and um, we're just going to jump into it because time is of the essence, and we have some more worship to get to. And so we're going to open to Second Peter chapter 1. My Bible just falls open there now. <laughs> <laughs> I've been studying this and reading this and praying over it for months, and my Bible just falls there now. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith that we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. And Peter was the apostle to the Jews, Paul was known as the apostle. To the Gentiles, however, we know they crossed. Paul ministered to Jews and Peter ministered to Gentiles. And this book is actually written to the Gentile church, which is us. Unless you were born a Jew, you're a Gentile, brought into the church of the living God. And so this is also to us who share that same precious faith. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable, everyone say enable, enable you to share and participate in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all of this, in view of the fact that he's put power in you, that Christ was raised, that you know him, and the power of God lives in you, in view of all of this, we need to make every effort to respond to God's promises. Everyone say respond. So supplement or add to your faith a generous provision of moral excellence and to moral excellence, knowledge and to knowledge, self-control and to self-control, patient endurance and to patient endurance, godliness and to godliness, brotherly affection and to brotherly affection, love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way. And so we can either grow or we can fail to develop, but the choice is ours. Those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So we can either be productive and useful or we can be short-sighted and blind. Which one would you rather be? Productive and useful. 
All right, we're on the same page. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth, you have been taught. And so this is what we're talking about. Add to your faith. Faith is first. Reliance upon Christ for salvation, first. Salvation, period. That's what gets us into heaven. That's what gets us into relationship with Christ. Faith. But once we're in faith, then we need to add to our faith. And so we're going to talk about the end of the matter, the end of the whole matter. Why we need to even learn about this is spiritual maturity. It wasn't an option to Peter. He reminded them and reminded them and nagged them and nagged them like I do to my kids to clean their room. Add to your faith, mature spiritually. We should be getting stronger the longer that we are in Christ. The longer that we're walking in relationship with him, the longer that we're walking with him, the longer that we're in faith, the longer that we're following him, we should be going from strength to strength, from faith to faith, from glory to glory. We shouldn't be staying the same. And if we are staying the same, then we need to check up on that. Because Peter said, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to add to your faith. You're supposed to grow in these things. We're supposed to develop these things in our lives. And it's not for legalism. We are not returning to legalism here. We're not saying that you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and add to your faith and you'll be saved. No, we, it's reliance upon faith for, or Christ for salvation, period. But one is for salvation, Faith. We have faith for salvation. And then there's supposed to be something that follows. And that's called the practical Christian living of adding to our faith. This isn't an option. It wasn't an option as far as Peter was concerned. It's practical Christian living. We add to our faith. We're not trying to earn anything from God. We're not earning the promises. If you didn't add patience and endurance to your faith today and you need healing in your body, guess what? You can still get healing for your body. Jesus paid for that on the cross. We're not earning the promises of God. We're growing in spiritual maturity. Why? So that we can be productive is what he says. So this isn't earning anything. This is just taking a a look at what life is. Following Christ looks like what life in the Spirit looks like. Life in the Spirit, when you're following Christ, it will produce these kind of things in your life. And this is not a comprehensive list by any stretch of the imagination. If it were, it would include holiness and righteousness and justice and all those other characteristics of God. This is not a comprehensive list. This is the one we're looking at now. But Peter's focus here is not just on add to your faith. Peter's focus is on, in view of all of this, the focus is the power of God has been put in you. You've been given everything you need for this. I've been given everything I need to live a godly life. So we must live a godly life. We must participate with it. Grace empowers it. And we participate with it. If we just try to do it in and of our own self, that's called works. It's filthy rags and it will get us nowhere. We're not here for works. 
We're here to mature in Christ, right? And I love something that Jesus said. Someone came up to him one time and said, good master. They were going to ask him a question. And he turned to them and said, don't call me good. If you see anything good in me, it's the Father. He said, don't call me good. There's only one good, and that's God. So we're not adding to our faith so we have bragging rights, so we can put our arm, you know, hey, I'm awesome. Look at how strong I am in all of these things. No, if you see anything good in me, it's him. Why? Because he's enabled us to participate with the divine nature. We wouldn't be able to do any of it if he hadn't died on the cross. Amen? Are we on the same page there? Okay. And so now, last but definitely not least, the fun topic of self-control. Go ahead. Smile at me. Because <laughs> it might be the last time we smile today. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Self-control is not a bad thing, but it's a necessary thing. Peter found it very necessary to put it in this list. And we need to look at it. And so, self-control. The Greek word really is temperance. And it means mastery or dominion over. It means to have self-command. Self-control is the opposite of self-indulgence. Self-control is the grace by which the flesh is controlled. Remember, grace empowers and we participate with. It's the grace by which the flesh is controlled. And in the time that Peter was writing 2 Peter, they were going through a time in church history where holiness was a very lax in the church. Let's just think about the church today. <laughs> You don't hear about holiness very much. You don't hear about self-control very much. And it's kind of a correlation there. But Peter was wanting to remind them that it doesn't matter what's going on around you. It doesn't matter what anyone else says. This is what's important to your life right now. And if you do these things, you'll be productive, you'll be useful, you won't fall away. And so we're going to read 1 Peter 1, 13 through 17. And he says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, you know better now. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Now we all know that the word says that he makes us holy. We could never make ourselves holy. We could never earn that. He makes us holy. But holiness is both a gift and an accomplishment. Again, with the he gives it and we participate with it. He gives it, we do it. He gives it, we do it. So holiness. Be holy for I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. 
God has no favorites. And we all, have you ever seen a golden child? We know the families, there's like a golden child where it doesn't matter what they do, they don't get in trouble. These other kids could do the same thing and they would all get disciplined. But this one little golden child over here is like the favorite and they never get in trouble. Mom and dad always make excuses for them and, you know, they could be out selling drugs and mom would say, well, he's studying to be a pharmacist. (laughs) You're like, well, golden child, favorite, right? But what (laughs) what Peter's saying here is, God has no favorites. We are all going to be on equal footing when we stand before him. We're going to be judged or rewarded according to what we do. In light of that, exercise self-control and live in reverent fear of him in our time as temporary residents on this earth. What we do matters. And there's a pervasive doctrine floating around the space right now that what we do doesn't matter. But it does. And we're going to see that today. We are going to be judged or rewarded. It didn't say judged and rewarded. It said judged or rewarded according to what we do. Hence the need to practice self-control. And I love how Danny Silk puts this. Because when we think of self-control, we think of negative, don't we? Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't, 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 don't. Anybody else? Mine goes all to the don'ts. I love how Danny Silk puts this. He says, self-control is not just the ability to say no to bad things. Self-control is the ability to say yes to something so completely that all other options are eliminated. Sound familiar? Sound like something Pastor Michael preached about Easter-ish? Where he said we have to decide. It means to kill all other options. It's not just saying no to bad things. It's saying yes to something so completely that all other options are eliminated. Jesus wasn't known for what he didn't do. He was known for what he did do. He was known for the fact that he said yes to God so completely that everything else was eliminated. Right? If our only concern with the actions of our bodies and the thoughts in our minds, if our only concern is, can I do this and still make it to heaven? Can I do this and get away with it and still make it to heaven? Then we're living too low. If our only concern is, am I going to make it to heaven if I still do this, then we're wrong. We're living wrong. We're living far beneath what Jesus paid the price for us to live, that abundant life. It is so opposite the attitude that Jesus had when he was here on this earth to the point where I would say it is very anti-Christ. Jesus wasn't only concerned about, am I going to get to heaven? If he was, he would have called for those legions of angels to deliver him. He was more concerned with you and more concerned with me. And that attitude is uber, duper, super, duper selfish. 
so far opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus embodied a life overcoming. He exampled to us what an overcoming life looked like, what freedom really looked like. And it's freedom from sin. Remember the first week when we said he has enabled us to participate in the divine nature? That means he's given us the power to overcome sin, right? Do you remember? Anyone who tells you that you can live however you want to and do whatever you want to and it's not going to affect your relationship with Christ is not telling you the truth. I'm going to say it again. Anyone who tells you that you can live any way you want to and do anything you want to and it's not going to have any impact on your relationship with Christ is not telling you the truth. And I'm not just talking about heaven. Is this going to impact heaven? That's not what we're talking about. Remember we said reliance upon Christ for salvation. That's heaven. But what it does affect is intimacy. Sin in our lives, walking in the flesh in our lives, impacts intimacy with the Father. And Jesus paid a high price for us to be able to overcome it. So we're not going to walk these low lives anymore. We're not going to live just for, is this going to keep me out of heaven? We want to walk as close to God as we, as, as we can, right? So we're going to go back into self-control a little bit and talk about being the master of oneself. And I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians 9.27, and then I'm going to embarrass my child. <laughs> You're warned. First, and I'll pay you for getting to be your, your, your sermon example. Pastor Dan Prox told me that if I use my kids as a sermon example, I have to pay them. So money well spent, baby. First Corinthians 9.27. This is Paul talking. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. And I'm just going to tell you again, that word disqualified does not mean heaven. It means disqualified from the race. It means literally unapproved. It means that being considered false or fake, being counterfeit, useless, having impurities like silver before it's refined, and one that will not stand proof. So the Apostle Paul said, I discipline my body like an athlete so that I won't be considered false, so that I won't be considered a fake or a counterfeit, so that I won't be useless. That word discipline, Alex, you can make your way up here. (laughs) Yeah, Let's all embarrass him further, shall we? That word discipline means to enslave my body. It means to make it come into subjection. It means literally to hit it under the eye until it's black and blue like a boxer. It means to subdue it. Go ahead. Sun's out, guns out, baby. Let's see some of those muscles. Now mine, mine don't look quite the same. All right. His legs 
are equally as cut, right? In fact, I wanted him to use them last, a couple weeks ago, and he goes, Mom, if you're going to use my muscles, use my legs, because they're a lot bigger than my arms. (laughs) Paul is saying, come up here. I discipline my body like an athlete, making it do what I want to do. Now, do you discipline your body because it's been bad? No. Paul wasn't disciplining his flesh like he, because it was bad. He wasn't disciplining his flesh. I know, he's so, he does not like to be in the public eye. He did not discipline his flesh because it was bad or did a wrong thing. Why do you do that? So that I can run faster. Ha! He does it so that he can get a sub-18 5K. He comes home from his workouts beat up, dragging himself in the house. Mom, I had to do more reps today. I can't, you'll never believe we had to do mile repeats or 800 meter repeats over and over, driving, driving, driving his body into the ground. The coach is driving their bodies into the ground to where they're dragging home with no energy and life left, Right? For a purpose. It's not because his flesh is bad and he's punishing it. You cannot punish your flesh into purity. Passion looks like sacrifice to someone who's not in love. You can sit down. Thank you. Passion looks like sacrifice to someone who's not in love. I'm going to say it again. Passion, and I heard this from someone, I know you quoted it, and I'm not going to claim rights to it. I heard it somewhere a while ago. Passion looks like sacrifice to someone who's not in love. When Michael and I were dating many moons ago, (laughs) it's $5, baby. (laughs) When Michael and I were dating many, many years ago, before free long distance, we racked up two or $300 phone bills every month. Every month. Did I count it a sacrifice? Did I think, oh, I can't buy those shoes? Oh, I can't go buy that outfit? No. I looked forward to and longed for every minute of those conversations. And when they were over, I replayed them over and over and over in my head. Would $300 phone bills be a sacrifice? Would I consider that a sacrifice now? Yeah, I'd be shooting him a text when I was in Wi-Fi, making sure we're not spending any money we didn't have to spend. (laughs) I remember one weekend where he got out of class uh, in the afternoon at some point on a Friday, drove 13 hours just to see my pretty face. (laughs) We spent like 24 hours together, and then he drove 13 hours back. I think you fell asleep. Didn't you? Is that the trip you fell asleep and the guy pulled you over? And <laughs> Because we were so passionately in love, it was not a sacrifice. Now, you know, our parents were thinking, look at all the money he's spending in gas and all the time he should have been working and blah, 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 blah. Because passion looks like sacrifice to someone who's not in love. Paul didn't discipline his body for sacrifice. Paul didn't discipline his body out of some 
feeling of obligation. Paul disciplined his body out of love, not to earn it, to show it. Passion looks like sacrifice to someone who's not in love. Athletes choose to discipline their bodies like that, to beat them, to bring them into subjection because they have a goal in mind. And if you read this section of 1 Corinthians in context, Paul was talking about when I'm with this one, I, I act like this. When I'm with this one, I do this. When I'm with this one, I do this. When I'm with the Gentiles, I act like a Gentile, not someone who's not under the law, but under the law of Christ. I never forsake the moral character of God. I do all of these things so that I might win some. I beat my body and bring it into subjection so that I'm not going to be disqualified from the race. So that they're not going to look at me and say, what a fake and phony, I don't want what you have. The God you serve must not be real. He must not be powerful. He beat his body because he had a purpose and he had a goal. We're not looking for the path of least resistance in this life. And if Christianity does not hurt your flesh at some point, by you telling it no and beating your body black and blue, if it doesn't hurt your flesh at some point, or my flesh at some point, we're doing it wrong. Right? right. <laughs> Everyone smile at me. <laughs> but it's for freedom, Pastor Tony, that Christ has set us free. And this doesn't sound free. This sounds like bondage. I want to be free. Oh, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Freedom from walking in sin. Freedom from being held in captivity and bondage to what destroys our lives. Anything done out of obligation is bondage. But anything done out of love is the definition of freedom. Because you're free to choose. And we choose to do it out of love. Amen. Paul and Peter and James and John and the, all the writers of the New Testament over and over and over said, put to death the evil desires in the body. Put to death the sin nature that's in you. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Right? Yeah. Whose responsibility is it? Romans 8, 12 through 14. It says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit that's in you, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Remember what Peter said. In light of all these things, because the power of God is in you, because he's given you everything you need for life and for godliness, exercise self-control. You do it. You put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. Romans 6, 1 through 19, and we're not going to read all of this, although I encourage you to go home and read. Don't you love it when I teach and give you homework? How many of you did your homework last week? Raise your hand. I'll give you some makeup work, Stephanie. <laughs> 6, 1 through 19 is amazing, but I'm going to read some excerpts from it. 
Verse 4 says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. He died. He rose again. Now you have the power, so live a new life. That's what he's saying. He went to this cross and he nailed himself to it to identify with us so that he could take our place. And then he rose from the dead so that he could raise us up with him so that we could identify with him and the power that was in him to overcome the sinful nature. Hallelujah. That's good preaching, Tony. Don't stop. All right. Verse 10. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now he lives. He lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let. Say, do not let. Do not let let sin control the way that you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. If he's telling them, don't do it, guess what? You can. It means it's possible for you to do it. So don't do it. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. Say yes to God so completely that all other things are eliminated. Give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So, use your new life. Use the power of God that's in us. Use your whole body, your whole body, your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Grace empowers us to be able to participate with the divine nature on the inside of us to walk above sin. Amen. Grace empowers us to walk above the sinful nature to let not, let not, let not. Grace empowers it. And you know, sin are not just bad things. The Bible says that if you know to do good and don't do it, that is sin to you. Ouch. (laughs) Okay, we'll let that just hang in the air for a little bit. There are sinless in the Bible. There are. And anybody tells you that there's not, don't listen to them. Just go read the Bible. You'll find them for yourselves. We're going to read in Galatians 5. We're going to close with these thoughts. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. I'm allowed, I'm allowed 
I'm allowed. I'm allowed. I'll still get to heaven. First Corinthians 10. I'm allowed. That was a pervasive doctrine in the time of Peter and Paul. And he goes, you're allowed, but is it beneficial? You're allowed, but is it, is it beneficial? He wasn't saying, is it beneficial for you? He was saying, is it beneficial for all those ones that you're supposed to preach to? We're not supposed to just live for ourselves. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. We're free, but we're free to walk above sin. All right. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Let. Give permission to the Holy Spirit to guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. He's going to tell us how to avoid doing what the sinful nature craves. You know how? Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants, and the Spirit gives us desires that are just the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And these two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under the obligation to the law of Moses. That's not just saying don't use the law of Moses as a moral guide. Not under obligation to the law of Moses means you're not trapped under the power of sin anymore. We've been set free from the law of Moses, which means we've been set free from the power that sin had over us. Jesus became a curse for us. He took the curse of the law on himself so that we could be free and empowered by the spirit that raised Christ from the dead to walk above it. Hallelujah. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. So he's going to give us a list here. When we follow the desires of our sinful nature, these are the results. This is the fruit. This is what it looks like. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. You can feel free to say, ouch, at any time. (laughs) Selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Also not a comprehensive list. Other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So all those things describe the actions of a person who's following the sinful nature. Christian, non-Christian, this is what it looks like to follow the passions of the sinful nature, and that life leads to death. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. These results, when we're letting the Spirit guide our lives, this is what you're going to see. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. 
those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Who nailed them? We did. Jesus paid a high price for us to overcome sin. Sin. Everyone say the word sin. Sin. We have watered down sin so much that it just tastes like water anymore. We have watered down sin, so I missed it. I messed up. Oops, I made a mistake. I had an oopsie. Doesn't make it seem quite as harsh, does it? But God still calls sin, sin. And it's evil, and it's wicked. And it destroys lives destroys. How many of you were caught in sin at one point or another in your life and you were depressed and you were oppressed and you were full of shame and guilt and condemnation? How many of you liked that life? No. So why do we want to go back to it? Why do we want to live there? Why do we want to stay there? We need to see sin the way that God sees sin. And if we start to think that we were the only ones that were affected and impacted when Adam and Eve sinned, then we're sadly mistaken. God created Adam and Eve because he wanted intimacy, because he wanted a family. And when they sinned, he didn't just say, oh, well, they're lost. Didn't affect me at all. He was grieved. He wanted it. It impacted him. And sin still impacts intimacy. And we need to see our sin exactly for what it is. It's the nails that were in Jesus' hand. Our sin. The nails that are in his feet. It was a thorn of crowns on his A crown of thorns on his head. It was every ounce of pain that he felt getting whipped and beaten and nailed to that cross. That's what sin does. And we need to see it the way that he sees it. It's defeated. It doesn't have any power over us. It doesn't have any power over us. He paid the price 1 John 3, 8, we say it all the time. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, was made manifest to destroy the works of the devil. What was the first work of the devil? He deceived Adam and Eve into sin. And that very first work brought in all the other works of the enemy. Sickness, disease, oppression, depression, famine, lack. All of them followed sin. And if you read 1 John 3 in context, he's talking about destroying the power of sin over our lives. Because he said if a Christian keeps on sinning, mm-mm, you don't have to keep on sinning, he said, because the power of God was made manifest in the Son of God to break and destroy the works of the devil. He's not just breaking it. He destroyed the power of sin in our lives. My kids have had broken toys before that I've been able to put back together. 
but they've also destroyed toys before that we've just had to, you know, have a proper burial for. There was no fixing it. The power of God destroyed the power of the enemy on the cross so that we could walk above it. The only way it has power in your life and in my life is if I give it power. That's why he said, don't let sin rule. Don't give in to the fleshly desires that are on the inside of you that are going to destroy your life. But do let the Holy Spirit guide your life so that we can run with purpose. It's so that we can run with purpose. Hebrews 12 says, Let us strip off every sin and the weight that so easily besets us so that we can run our race. Lives are depending on whether or not we add self-control to our faith. Lives are depending on it. Receiving God's grace is not the whole gospel. It's the, it's the first act. Because <laughs> it's by grace we're saved through faith. It's not the whole gospel. It opens up the door to living this life in Christ. It opens up the door for us to follow Christ. It opens up the door. We receive God's grace so that we're free from the weight of sin and condemnation and guilt and shame so that we can run our race. There's not one person sitting in here that doesn't have a race. There's not one person sitting in here that doesn't have a call on your life for something. That doesn't have people that God has already ordained to put in your path for you to direct to Him. And what did Paul say? I practice self-control so that I won't be disqualified from being able to do what God's called me to do. So that I won't be considered counterfeit and fake and phony. The sins, the weights, the flesh, the pride, the insecurities, all of it's flesh. And he paid the price for us to walk above all of it. It's not just about gaining heaven. Sin destroys lives and God hates it. He hates it. It's about living for him. It's about being productive for him. It's about change. You know the word repent doesn't just mean to feel sorry. It means to make a full turn and have a change of mind about sin. You know the woman at the well? Jesus stopped at the well and they had that whole talk about living water. And he's like, bring your husband. I don't have a husband. That's right. You've had five husbands. And the one that you're living with now isn't even your husband. You're living immorally. And what did she do? She ran so excitedly into the town and said, Come, see the guy that told me everything I've ever done. Did he tell her everything that was right about her? He didn't tell her anything that was right about her. He told her everything that was wrong in her life. 
But the difference was that she also came into contact with living love and it brought change. Go and sin no more. Why? Because I love you and I'm paying a price for you to walk above it. It does not have to destroy your life anymore. It does not have to destroy our lives anymore. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body and spirit and let us work towards complete holiness. So we're going to do something today as an act of our faith and an act of the authority and the power of God that's on the inside of us to overcome sin. And I have a cross up here. And we have post-it notes. <laughs> and so today, September 18th, 2016, is the day that we say enough is enough. It's the day that we look right at that thing that we're struggling with, whether it's a sin, whether it's a weight, something that's holding you back from going further with God whether it's an insecurity, whether it's pride or wicked motive or whatever it is for you. And guess what? We all have them. Pastors, not pastors, everybody has something in their flesh that they want to crucify and nail to the cross and say, you have no more power over me. So today's the day we say enough is enough. And we're going to do this as an act so that when that temptation comes back on us to do it again, we're going to be able to look back and picture it in our mind, nailing it to the cross. We'll post it, noting it to the cross. I wanted to do nails and hammer, but Michael said no. We'd have to pray for people's healing, so that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> so this is what I want us to do. Today is our day for chains to be broken. Because sin is a chain that God does not want to see in our lives anymore. He wants, to, us to, he wants to see us kick it out, kick it off, shake it off, and run our race. So that when we do stand before him and are judged or rewarded according to what we do, that we hear well done. Right? right. And so John's going to crank the music, or whoever's back there, someone, when I'm done talking, is going to crank some music. And we're not going to have just some kumbaya music we're gonna have some i am free and god has broken these chains off of me and i am walking above this sin music victory then we're gonna worship but after you write your deal on the post-it note and nail it to the cross we're gonna go by the communion table and just solidify it in our heart his body was broken for this and his blood was shed for this so that I could be free so that I could walk above it and walk in victory. He paid the price for it. He's given us everything we need to do it. And now it's our time to engage with the power of God that's in us. Amen. Hallelujah. Do you want to give any instruction? Just one thought as, she, as she's speaking to us. Um, this is a moment between you and Jesus. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't say that. This is a moment between you and him. You come and you write your, what you're dealing with. You write it. And then you come and partake of the communion. Don't wait for us to say a prayer. And, no. Or, and the, it's between you and Jesus. Take your communion. 
Take it back to your seat and you might be with your family, you might be with your kids, you might be, but today I want you to do communion just like the judgment seat of Christ is going to be. Your husband's not going to be with you, your kids aren't going to be with you, it's going to be you and Jesus. So this is a day of commitment, it's a day of consecration, it's a day of enough is enough, I'm going to walk free from this, it's a day with you and Jesus, amen? Amen. Amen. So after you've searched your hearts, after you're ready, you come on up and take victory over what. And it's not just y'all. It's pastors too. I am writing some stuff on this paper. Amen.
every chain, break every chain, break every chain, oh, oh, break every chain, to break every chain, break every chain. Let's say there is power. There is speaking she began to teach this teach this word this morning the apostle paul said i beat my flesh 
I take the time and make the decision. I make the decision. I make the decision so that after I have preached, after I have said, after I have spent myself and my life teaching you that I may not be disqualified. Listen, there's a reason why and there's a goal why we do this thing called self-control. Our goal is a higher calling than fire in- insurance. Right. It's about relationship. So our call is this. As we live, may the love of God, may the discipline in, of God be seen in our, in our lives and what we do. It's a choice. It's a choice. I love him and I submit my yes to him so that when the temptation comes, I don't even have to worry about it. It's a yes, Lord. It's a yes, Lord. I don't got to worry about that. You follow with me? Are you tracking with us? I would love for us to just turn this up one more time and just worship just a few more minutes. Can we just do that before we close this down? There's a moment today. There's a moment in this time for you, for me, for all of us. Let's just turn this up and let's just worship the Lord one last time. With our voices, with our cry, with our worship. Hallelujah. Come on. Listen to the words. I hear the chains. They're falling. First John 3, 8. He came to destroy and unravel and undo the chains of the enemy. They're falling all around us. I hear those chains falling. Oh, yeah, yeah. I hear those chains falling Not like I used to be I hear those chains falling How appropriate would this be? Why don't you just speak the sound of of God over us the, The voice of God Before we bless you Hallelujah Product that comes from from walking this way and walking that close with God. Yeah, it's that His presence will leak out of you on everyone that you come into contact with. <laughs> Just like Smith Wigglesworth when he would sit on the train, not say a word, and people would fall down and repent of their sins because yeah. the presence of God just leaked out of him because he walked in such intimate fellowship with God, and that's the goal. Amen. Amen. I'm just so very thankful that uh, my wife has taught this. Um, you know, the Word of God is not a happy meal. You can't just pick and choose what you want. There's the vegetables, there's the protein. It can't always just be carbs all the time. This is how we grow up. 
We don't think that it's weird that we see the natural body growing, physically growing, maturing in wisdom, in stature. We don't think that that's weird. So why do we think that it has anything to do differently? Why do we think it has to be differently when it comes to our spirit man or spirit woman? There is no difference. It's the way God intended for us to grow, mature, and to be balanced and healthy lifestyles, especially when it comes to the Word of God. Amen? Will you please stand with us? Before we go, we love, love, love you, and we want to just bless you. We want to speak a blessing over you. So our prayer today is this, that you would understand and know the Word of God for your lives. Know who you are, the son, the daughter that you are in Christ Jesus. Know that there is a higher road to walk. It's not just about eking into heaven. It's about walking and abiding with the Son, being close to the Father. It's the relationship that we have that matters. We've heard it said that relationships are all that matters in the end. And guess what? The most important one is the one with you and your Father. And so we bless you with the ability to know and understand and see I'm a son, I'm a daughter. He loves me. And so he puts these things into the Word so that I might grow spiritually. We bless you in the mighty name of Jesus. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. Be a blessing to all of those around you before you leave. Let them have a hug and see a smile. We'll see you this Wednesday.